Awesome job. Well, it's good to be back with you guys on this last Sunday in February. It's crazy how fast February goes. It is the shortest month, but I'm always happy when it leaves. And so I look forward to spring and look forward to March. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of you are too. Uh, amen. I hear it. Amen. Already. Uh, anyways, uh, just to start off, um, I'd mentioned like our house had sold. It's officially sold. Like we are, papers are signed, money's exchanged, and so uh, I just want to let people know that that has actually happened and gone through. And so uh, I keep telling Kim like, "Yeah, we're homeless now," and she's like, "That's not actually how it works." And so it's like we still live in a home. We just don't have a home in Eston. And so I'm like, oh, okay. Um, but now we are on the other side. So now we're looking for a home. So if you're looking. Uh, pray for something. Like, buying a home here is, blows my mind. Um, I was, like, our home was, like, four-bedroom. We had three, two-and-a-half bathroom. Everything was redone, and we sold it below 200000 And here we are, and we're, like, 500 grand. It's like, oh, my gosh. And so, uh, but we're trusting in the Lord uh, that he has something he's provided already. And so we're just believing in that provision. So you can pray for us for that, though. Let's start um, with a recap of the last two weeks. This is our last week of the Breathe series. Uh, Chris started off and he talked about the woman at the well and how like, Jesus provides everything that we need. Like he is the well that we need to go to. Uh, last week I talked about identity and how there are true things about us, things that happen in our life, like, like your mom or dad or you know, an accountant. But the truest thing about us is that we are the beloved of Christ. And so that's what we want to live out of. We want to live out of the truest thing about us, not the true things. Uh, this week, I hope you got my email and I brought your yoga mats. I'm just, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Please don't write Phil and tell them we're practicing yoga here because we're not. But this week, we're just talking about finding rest. Just finding rest. How to find rest. This is something we're trying to instill in our oldest child I think his life goal is to play all four sports every day. And so how we've combated that is we've done this to him. <laughs> and so this is how we get him to, to find rest. This is how we find rest. <laughs> A little bit of duct tape to the wall. You can practice this. Don't tell them I did it because I actually didn't. But this is the old youth pastor trick, uh, trying to take your kid to the wall in like three minutes and then seeing if they'll stay there. <laughs> so, but Kim and I recently discovered vacations like we love going on vacations but when you start having kids like it's really fun but also it's really tiring and so vacations almost become like a two-week extensive workout for us where we end up finding ourselves in the corner crying binge eating chocolate because we're just so tired and I need a vacation from a vacation <laughs> And so, but I can remember this time going to Pittsburgh, and we lived in Grenfell, Saskatchewan at this time, which is like five hours from Winnipeg. And we had two kids at this moment, Malachi and Zion, and we needed to get to Pittsburgh, but we didn't have a ton of money, but we had a lot of air miles, and so we're like, we can fly from Thunder Bay to Pittsburgh for free. So let's drive to Thunder Bay. And so we drove to, yeah, this is the logic. We're so smart. And so we drove to Thunder Bay. And Kim had a cousin who was there. And we lay, he let us stay with this guy he was staying with. That sounds really funny. But yeah, you can stay at this place. I live with this guy, but he said it's cool. Um, 
And so we went out quadding, and I got sunburned so bad the night before we were about to fly out in Thunder Bay. And like, I had probably the worst sunburn I ever had. And we got lost when we were on our, our quads too, and I actually tipped the quad, and the tire turned and popped off, and so we had to leave this quad wherever we were at and had to drive back with this guy I just met, shirtless, <laughs> on a single quad. And so, I'm <laughs> back. And so I had sunburned, and we were flying out the next day, and we're traveling with Zion. He wants to be held, and he like wants to be on my shoulders, and I'm like, but the, like my shoulders, they're on fire. And so I put him on my shoulders. For some reason, we gave him chocolate milk, and so he's walk, we're walking through the airport, and he's got chocolate milk, and naturally, we wear chocolate milk after that. And so this is how the vacation started. Very restful. Sunburn, chocolate milk, crying kids. And so... Finding rest is huge for a lot of us. It's really big. It's something that we are called to actually do, to find rest. Because we live in a society that is all about going. Or if it's not all about going, it's all about we think we should be going. We live in an Instagram society, a Facebook society, and even our phones. They always feel like we need to be doing something. Our cities are expanding. And the towns, uh, they're also adopting city mentalities. In Grenfell, we grew that's where we were at before. We went to Eston, a small town of 1,000 people, two, like an hour away from Regina, but it became like a bedroom community for people to drive into Regina every day, an hour, to work in Saskatchewan. Come on now, that's not smart. <laughs> and so the roads were not always the greatest. And so just a mobile society, we're becoming going, 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 going. And complicating this is the fact that we have a culture that chronically overworks. We're overworking. Even going to the far to teach, overwork is a value. You need to work more, 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 more. Every study out there, of course, shows that this is bad for us, working way too much. We know it's bad for our families, but then a lot of parents try to justify it by saying, I'm doing this for my family. But then you look up one day and realize that your family's grown up. Overwork is also bad for our health. Healthcare professionals say overwork is more often than not a factor in the most common medical elements in our societies, including heart disease, lung ailments, cancer, accidental injuries, obviously, and cirrhosis of the lungs, of the liver. Cirrhosis of the liver. And just to name a few, a CNN study showed that those who work 11-hour days are 250% more likely to become depressed than those who limit their work Eight hour, limit their work to eight hours a day. The reason that is when you're under work stress, your body releases a certain amount of chemicals and hormones to deal with it, which is fine in normal rhythms, but when you work too much, it literally is poisoning your body, throwing you off your levels and leading you more anxiety and depression. But there are reasons we are driven to overwork. There are reasons why we do it. Obviously money is a big one. Work is how we provide for ourselves. Our privileges we enjoy, we believe, and in the direct, it's a direct proportion to how we work. If we work more, we get more money. Sometimes it establishes our identity. Our work determines our worth. Sometimes we feel like that. I need to work more. People like me when I work more. Second question that you usually ask when you first meet somebody, after what's your name, what do you do? 
And we've talked about this before, like how positions are like exaggerated now, like the titles of positions. Like I saw a commercial for Pizza Hut and they were looking for shift managers, but they were calling them, we're looking for the deans of pizza. Like, I was the dean of men. Like, that was hard work. The dean of pizza, like, I'm sure making pizza's hard, but the dean of pizza, like, we're exaggerating a lot of these titles because people find worth in the title. Sometimes we are driven to overwork because we're trying to please other people, to please make other people happy. Bottom line is, for all these reasons, we tend to get tired. And some of us maybe feel like this today. Current mood, face right, like face first into the guardrail, like this dog. First off, this dog is so cute. It's the kind of dog I want. So what I want to talk about is rest, how to rest, how to find rest. And to do that, we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 4, it's sounding like Jude, he says 4, he says 4. We're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9 to 10. If you don't have your Bibles, I'll have it up here on the screen. It says this. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did. And there's a similar verse in Matthew. And it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in your heart, in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. We want to explore these two passages because sometimes it can feel like Christianity or following Jesus just gives us more stuff to do. You mean I have to work full time and then volunteer? help the poor, be a youth leader, coordinate a car wash for a missions trip. Sometimes we can feel like that. It's just more work. I heard this quote. For the most part, we jump into the busy part of Christianity, serving your neighbor, being active in the church, getting busy with spiritual disciplines. But we skip the rest, po- the rest part, which is crucial in being able to accomplish the other. We need to learn to rest correctly in Christ. Or all the work we do for Christ is just going to be off. Which is why I talked about identity. Because if we have an identity currently that we, I need to do things for people to like me, and we come to know Jesus and to accept him into our lives, then we're going to start thinking like that in our relationship with Christ. I need to do things for Christ in order for him to love me, to like me, to accept me. But the reality is, and I mentioned this last week, Before Jesus even did anything in his ministry, and when he was being baptized, God said, I am well pleased with you. He loves you. Bottom line, Christ loves you. He is well pleased with you. Before you did anything, you didn't need to do anything. He loves you. So here is the thought for the day. It's going to be like groundbreaking. Amazing. You ready for this? I'm doing better with this this week. Are everybody excited about that? Last week it was kind of touch and go. Those most mature in Jesus are not those working hardest for him, but those resting best in him. Is this like a pass to be lazy? Is this what you're telling me? Yes, it is. No, I'm just kidding. It's not. It isn't. For those who get the idea of resting Christ will actually do the best work 
with Christ. And we will discover this concept in this message. In Hebrews, the writer tries to ties rest, in Hebrews, that first one he read, he ties rest to the Old Testament concept of the Sabbath. Moses ex explains the purpose of the Sabbath in two primary places, and we'll touch on both of those today. The first place is in Exodus 20, verses 9 to 11. And it says this, Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, or daughter, nor your manservant, or maidservants, nor your animals, nor the alien, with, the alien within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens, and the earth, and sea, and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and he made it holy. So what can we take from the scripture? We have a couple of things. The first thing is this. Sabbath reminds us that God is the point of our lives, to take a day to recognize that God didn't create us to accomplish tasks, but to be in love with him. Sometimes the tyranny of life can cause us to disconnect from the purpose of which we were created. When this happens, it is the quickest way to live a life of misery. We, were, we weren't created for a job. We were created for God. On that day, on this Sabbath day, we are supposed to enjoy him and his creation, be alive, one day to be rather than to do. And this is great, great concept, right? But then we come across scripture like in Matthew 12, 1 to 8, and we're like, Jesus, he did work on the Sabbath. And in Matthew 1 to 8, it says this, verse, Matthew 12, verse 1 to 8. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath, the disciples were hungry and began to pick some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath duty in the temple, desecrate the Sabbath, and yet are innocent? I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Yes, Jesus worked. He did. His disciples did work. They plucked some grain. He healed people on the Sabbath. He helped them on the Sabbath. It's true, but it's not the point of what the scripture is. Here's the point. The Pharisees, they like to uphold the law and they like to make laws. So if there is a law, they like to add on to that law. So this can be burdensome. And I like to compare it to this. Have you ever played a game with a kid and you're playing, let's say, hide and seek or tag? And you're about to tag that kid. And as they are about to be, as they're tagged, they look at you and you're like, actually, this is now base two. <laughs> and then you run, and then you're like, okay, that can be base two. That could be the second base. And then you get, and you're going to tag them again. And they're like, actually, you didn't say my name when you tagged me, so I'm, you're still it. You see, a simple game of tag has now added on much more than it was. The, and that becomes burdensome, right? You're, at some point, you're like, I tagged you, kid. You're it. <laughs> so originally in the Exodus, it was simple. Don't work. Very simple. Don't work. 
But now, as centuries pass, after the Ten Commandments and before Jesus came, work needed to be defined, now the Pharisees said. Because things actually like this happened. At one point on the Sabbath, in the Maccabean period, there was a war, or the Jews were ambushed. 1,100 were killed because they didn't fight back because it was the Sabbath. I, I don't even know what to say. We're just going to keep moving on. And so, so work had to be defined. That's what the Pharisees thought. Work had to be defined. And they defined it in such crazy ways. For instance, you couldn't carry a burden, which a burden actually means a load, on the Sabbath day. This is work. Okay, so what is a load then? Let's see the definition of a load. A load is this, food equal in weight to a dried fig. You pick something up that was more than a dried fig, you had worked. Enough wine for mixing in a goblet. Enough milk for one to swallow. Enough honey to put on a wound. Enough oil to anoint a small member. Enough water to moisten an eye slave. Enough paper to write a customs house notice upon. And enough paper, enough paper to write two letters of the alphabet. So they spent endless hours arguing whether a man could lift up a lamp from one place to another on the Sabbath. Whether a tailor committed a sin because he went out with a needle in his pocket. Whether a woman might wear a brooch or false hair. Because that's work. It's heavy. It's a burden. Even if a man might go out on the Sabbath with artificial teeth or artificial limbs carrying more than they should. Maybe weaving two, th weaving two threads was considered work. Making two loops work. Tying something, untying something. Kindling a fire, tearing something work. Does this sound burdensome? These things to them, to the Pharisees, were the essence of religion. religion. Their religion was the legalism of petty rules and regulations. What we know is that Jesus came to fulfill the, law, fulfill the law and to abolish religion. The Pharisees tell him what he is doing is unlawful. They tell Pharisees, Jesus, what is, what's happening is unlawful. But Jesus isn't even breaking the law of Moses because he's breaking their interpretation of the law. Jesus is keeping the law of Moses, but he's breaking what the Pharisees feel is the interpretation of the law, their law that they've added on. Jesus would know that this isn't the law. He knows this. But he goes along with it and he says this. Jesus responds saying, Hey, David and his companions were hungry and ate sacred bread and they didn't get in trouble. And the Pharisees, they didn't want to say David was wrong because they, if they said that David was wrong, they would also have said that the Pharisees then granted exception to the law. So they said nothing. Jesus is smart. Then Jesus says this, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. He's saying the Sabbath was made for you to enjoy, not for you to control. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. Let him be Lord. That means if you want to find rest, you need to dwell with him. He's saying, I created the Sabbath. I own it. When he says Lord, he's declaring his sovereign rights to it. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. It is mine. Later they will tell him healing somebody is breaking the Sabbath. We'll hear that story too. 
But the Pharisees forgot that acts of mercy are allowed on the Sabbath. The Pharisees had made the Sabbath a burden. A day people didn't look forward to. A day people didn't want to take part in. The Pharisees forgot the first point of the Sabbath. To remember that you weren't created for a job, but for God. You just created for him. Now back to our verse in Exodus in regards to the Sabbath. The second thing that we can, that, that he calls them to do is this. Or the Sabbath reminds them. It reminds us that God is the provider for our lives. Taking a day off was an inconvenient. Especially in ancient Israel. Survival was often a day-to-day, season-to-season affair in that time. Crops had to be harvested daily. Water had to be drawn daily. To cut productivity by one-seventh can make the difference literally between life and death. And the crazy thing was is no other society did this. It made them seem crazy that they were doing this. But God commanded his people to do it because he wanted to remind them at the end of the day, it was his, it was God's responsibility to provide for them. So he had them cut their productivity by one-seventh to give Christ, to give God the space to work. And here was his promise, the Sabbath principle. If they would take one day off in obedience to him, he would multiply their effectiveness on the other six days so that they would accomplish more in those six days than they had worked in all those seven days. He would make sure all their needs were met and that all the net ends would meet. And I remember this practice, but there was some, in college, there was one guy who took Sunday off. He didn't do anything. He didn't even read any books, didn't do any homework. And as a student, you're like, you're crazy. Like, you need to work every day. Like, every day. He's like, no, I believe I can get more done if I just actually have a day where I'm not thinking about it, where I'm resting in Christ, where I'm enjoying him. I'm like, yeah, but I'm about to crush this class, and we'll see (laughs) where you stand. Actually, I think he did better than me. But the principle of taking that day to rest. You see, God has set up the world so that we provide for ourselves by mostly natural means. It says, six days you shall labor. We, We shall work. Most of the provision we experience comes from the work that we do. We get that. Money typically doesn't just show up in your bank account. On accident. Sometimes it does. You ever hear the statement, money just doesn't grow on trees? This is my father telling me every day, money doesn't grow on trees. But because of this, because we labor for six days, because we work, we can very easily begin to assume that we are the ones who bear the responsibility of taking care of ourselves. I like We're the ones who would have to make ends meet. It's not true. God bears that responsibility. So we take a day off each week to declare that he is who he is, the provider. On that day, we say, God, I'm doing less than I'm able to do because you commanded me to, and so I'm depending on you to make up for what is not happening today. You see, Sabbath, that day was a declaration of trust. I completely trust in him. Now, the second place the Sabbath is discussed is in Deuteronomy where Moses adds one other purpose for the Sabbath. Deuteronomy 5.12 says this, Observe the Sabbath by day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. 
It was there to remind us that God is the Savior of their lives. To reflect the fact that their greatest need, and I've said this a lot of times, that this, our greatest need was that we were sinners. Their greatest need, they, needed, they were delivered from sin. God had accomplished all by himself with no help from us. God, our deliverer, the one and only. And for meeting that need, we had contributed not one iota. We did nothing. You see the phrase, the Lord brought you out by a mighty hand? What part did they have in the Exodus? What part did they do? Had they helped in pulling off the ten plagues? Was God like, okay, tonight we're going to turn the Nile into blood. So go get a hundred bags of powdered blood. Then go collect all the frogs and release them on Pharaoh's porch. And the third plague is the night of the cow tipping. They did nothing. God delivered them. It wasn't like they helped in escaping the Red Sea. All right, you people, stand on this side and blow that way. And the rest of you fan this way. No, again, God did it all by himself. So Moses said, you are to stop for a day and reflect on that. Moses says, listen, if God took care of your greatest need all by himself, don't you think you can trust him to take care of your day-to-day needs now? Notice how in verse 15, Moses tells them on that Sabbath, on the Sabbath, they were to reflect on their new relationship with God. You were a slave, now you are a son. You were under the cruel reign of Pharaoh. Now you are under the tender care of your father. You can trust in him. He's saying this. Stop thinking like slaves and start thinking like sons. Like sons and daughters. That's why we talked about identity. This is how we need to think. We are sons and daughters of the living God. Now, I want to land back in our original scripture in Hebrews 4. It said, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work, just as God did. The Sabbath that Moses and Joshua instituted did not provide the ultimate rest. It pointed forward to Jesus. Who would himself be our ultimate rest? Jesus alone. They had given us the principles to live by in the Old Testament, but Christ is now Lord of the Sabbath. He is now our rest. If we want to find rest, we need to rest in Christ. Sometimes we, we go on these vacations, they're great, they're really good, and we need to. But the only way we're going to find true rest is if we spend time with him. If we take Sabbath principles into our daily lives. If we trust in him daily. If we commit things to him daily. If we read his word daily. But if we can grab these three things and we're wrapping up with these three things, then we can find rest. First, Christ is your righteousness. He is infinitely pure, holy. You now abide in him. He is the vine. You are the branch. The only way to find rest is in Christ. The only way to find true rest is with him. The ultimate way that Christ is our Sabbath is he saved us. And just like with Israel, God accomplished that all by himself. He took my sin and sorrow. He made them his very own. He bore my burden on Calvary and suffered and died alone. There are a lot of things we cooperate together with God. There's a lot of things we do with him. 
with Jesus, but our salvation is not one of them. Jesus didn't give us an instruction manual with an explanation on how to save ourselves. Like, this is what you need to do. 50 points. He did the work and told us only to believe and receive it. You accomplished my salvation in my place, and all I do is receive it as a gift. This doesn't mean we cease to do good works, of course. And this doesn't mean that we don't help out in places of need. We need to be like him. We just cease to do them as a way of obtaining salvation. And that gives us rest in them because no longer are they done with the pleasure of thinking we have to do them for, to save ourselves or obtain favor from God, but we do them because we are simply in love with him. And we are one to be like him. Christ is our identity. He is who we are now. It's like, whoa, Jesus? No, no, Christ is within us. He is within us. Through my salvation, Christ has given me now a new identity in him. I am no longer a stranger or an orphan before God. I am a son or daughter of God, brother or sister and best friend with Christ. As his child, I've been given specific gifts to use in his kingdom. I and each of you are specifically, specially designed servants to use for his kingdom. Isn't that a better status than any identity you can get from a job? Any identity we can get from something in the world? We are now yoked with him. No longer am I laboring to gain my identity. I've been giving one through Christ. I am now with him. I can find rest in him. I don't have to labor to try to prove myself. He approves of me already. He loves me. He's called me by name. There's this movie, maybe you've heard of it, seen it, watched it, uh, Chariots of Fire. Anyone seen Chariots of Fire? Chariots of Fire, there's the rise of Eric Liddell. He came to fame at the 1924 Olympics. A passionate man of God, Liddell uttered the famous line, I run to glorify God, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. But then there's this counter hero in the story, right? Harold Abrams. And he says, running wasn't about pleasing God. It was about proving his purpose. Running gave him, he said, 10 lonely seconds to justify my whole existence. All your work will be done for one of these two ends, to glorify God or to justify yourself. And if your work is really just about 10 lonely seconds or maybe 70 hours a week to justify your whole existence, rest will be out of the question, and that's tiring. We want to find our identity in our work, our job. We want to find our identity in Christ. We want to find rest in him. The gospel says, you have a new identity in Christ. You are chosen son, of and son or daughter. He has a plan for you to use you in his kingdom, and that is a better identity than I can ever think of. And the last thing, if we can grab onto this, Christ is our righteousness, Christ is our identity, Christ is our security. God had said to Israel, if I rescued you when you were helpless slaves, surely I'll take care of you now that you are beloved sons. Take a day off to reflect on that. Now in the early church, they shifted the Sabbath day to Sunday and called it the Lord's Day. Because Sunday was the day that Jesus was resurrected. 
And they felt that was the best, the, the day best commemorated to their salvation. On that day, they were to reflect on the exact same thing. If God did not spare his own son to save me, now that I'm his beloved child, will he not freely give us what we need? Provide for me? So the Sabbath was fulfilled in Christ. Christ my righteousness. Christ my identity. Christ my security. Just because the Sabbath was fulfilled in Christ doesn't mean we stop practicing Sabbath principles. Not this like, you need to take the Sabbath. You don't need to do anything. I realize life happens and things happen that we need to do on Sunday. But there's principles that we can take, that we can integrate into the fabric of who we are, into our relationship with Christ, and how we can find rest in him. And we will only find rest in him. Here are some things, principles that you can do. Principles that we can incorporate into our lives. And I'm close with this, and I'll invite uh, the team to come back up. Practices to find rest. Here we go. One day a week for rest, renewal, relationships. We take one day for rest. One day for renewal. One day that we can just be with people. Have a relationship with people. Because that's how actually we grow in Christ too. When we are with people, talking to them about him. And we are being sharpened. Worship should be involved. The day to be rather than to do. To be with your family. Be outdoors. Do something you enjoy. Phil says this. He, you can tell him I said this. He prayer skis. That's a thing, I guess. So he goes out skiing, but he's praying as he's skiing, and he's having time with him, doing something he enjoys, but connecting with Christ. Many times I would pick up a basketball, and I'd just go shoot, and I'd just pray. And I'm working, I'm sweating, but I feel so restful. Another thing we could do, tithing. You're like, oh, we always got to tie it back to tithing, eh? <laughs> tithing means giving at least the first one-tenth of your income back to God. You don't do it because you have 10% extra in your budget you can't figure out what to do with. You do it just like they took the Sabbath day off as a declaration that God is the provider and ultimately you trust him to make the ends meet. Tithing is a Sabbath day principle. Principle that we incorporate into our life. Trusting in him. Declaring that we know that he will provide. Yes, it's scary. But if he delivered us, he can make... He can multiply that one-tenth that we give back to him. Next one, sleep. And everybody says amen. Hey, Psalm 127.1 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it in labor, it labor, if those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. What is the sign in this verse that you are beloved by God? Sleep. <laughs> Looking out at you right now, I see several of you are feeling very beloved. <laughs> if you, <laughs> but if you are asleep, who's got the city? God. Who's building the house? God. Who is watching the city? God. The psalmist smiles sweetly and says, God. God is. Find that rest. Go to sleep. Not right now. You can have a nap later, but go to sleep. God intended sleep to be a, very, be a time every day where you remind yourself that you are not God. You are not that God. And the last one is daily Sabbath. Time at the beginning to refocus yourself 
I encourage you, start your day off reading your Bible, praying, have that time of worship. That's the Sabbath principle, coming to him saying, you are the Lord. I need to come to you for the answers. I need to find rest in you. I need to be, know that you are going to take this day and you have something for it. This is why we practice daily Sabbath principles. We don't say, we're not like the Pharisees. Oh, you picked up, uh, how much was that? Was that more than a fig? Yeah, I'm sorry about that. Jesus doesn't love you. Um, no, that's not what we're doing here. Daily Sabbath principles to refocus ourselves. We have sermons all the time about the Great Commission, about discipleship, about being and going and doing things. We don't actually very much get sermons like this, where we are reminded that, hey, he just, I can rest in him. I need to take rest in him. Those who rest best, work best. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the provider, that you are our salvation, that you are the one who has come to save us. We had absolutely nothing to do with it. We can trust in you, knowing that as we practice rest, as we come to you, as we read our word, as we tithe, as we, as we lay our head down to sleep at night, if we're feeling stressed, we just, I just, you're feeling stressed and you just can't sleep, Lord, we lay it down at your feet, trusting in you that you're going to provide. So Lord, let us take our days to rest within you, knowing that you will multiply, that you're the one actually working and not us. In your name we pray. Amen.